according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Um, we're looking at verse 22. mentioned last week that uh, we were going to have a class on waiting. And uh, you all had to wait an extra week to get to this verse, but here we are. So we've been waiting. We're going to keep waiting. It's, uh, it's a privilege and joy to wait. And uh, God teaches us lessons while we're waiting so that we, uh, we're, we're doubly blessed. We're blessed in the process and then we're blessed in the salvation that comes once we have waited and uh, we see these things unfold before us. All right, before we do get started though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father's blessing upon our time of study. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for the faithfulness that you always manifest every time, Father. You honor your word. You've magnified it in accordance with your name. And as we have assembled today in humility to receive the word implanted, Father, you honor your word again and you faithfully teach us. Thank you for the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Thank you for uh, his faithfulness to lead us in all things, even the deep things of God. So, Father, we call upon your faithfulness once again to bless our time today. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so um, these are some of the verses we've been looking at here recently as I get the slideshow kind of caught up to where we are. I didn't, sometimes I cheat and I jot down the slide number, but I failed to do that this time, so I missed it. That's uh, point 18 from back in verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. And we d discussed that, the fact that you're an imitator of Satan, actually, when you become a slanderer. Uh, ha Diabolos, one of the titles for our adversary, the devil. He is the devil. And the word that's usually translated devil is the Greek noun Diabolos, which is the slanderer. So if that's what you want to be, understand who it is that you are imitating. We also talk about honoring your father and mother. That was point 19 in the outline. Coming out of uh, verse 20, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in a time of darkness. So that's not good. The lamp speaks about physical light, uh, life, speaks about the light that indwells you when you are physically alive. If the lamp goes out, uh, it can speak of a, a blindness where you don't have capacity to see the grace of God any longer. And uh, typically it represents a metaphor that represents physical death. Inheritance is not to be accelerated. And, uh, you know, it's God's good pleasure to determine the number of our days, our X number of days, our Y number of days, our Z number of days. And uh, that's true both for us and for our parents, that we don't accelerate their demise so that we can certainly, we can, uh, you know, we don't want to bump them off early so we can inherit something. That's murder. That's evil. That's, that's wrong. And yet, that's exactly what's um, put forth in the parable when the the, uh, the people there say, look, here's the son, let's kill him and take his inheritance. That uh, murder is not uh, beneath them as far as obtaining what they want to obtain. Point 21, neither the Old Testament uh, believers nor New Testament believers are to repay evil for evil. And in fact, even mentioning such a thing is spoken of as wrong. Not just The verse itself in verse 22 here says, do not say I will repay evil for evil. Realize that's, that's even a step beyond 
just basically do not repay evil for evil, right? It's, it's, there's plenty of verses that tell you not to do that. We don't repay evil for evil. And we looked at these last week, Leviticus 19.18, Deuteronomy 32.35. Uh, there's plenty of passages that tell us don't repay evil for evil. But this verse is even a step beyond that because it says don't even talk about it. Don't say it. And if you're not saying it, then clearly you're not thinking it which is really where we've got to be taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus and, uh, and these issues here. So even saying it or thinking it is inappropriate. And that's what uh, last week's class was dealing with. All right, and so now this gets us caught up to this slide. There we go. Get the number jotted down for my cheat sheet next week. Waiting for the Lord. The second part of verse 22, 22b because after we read, do not say, I will repay evil, wait for the Lord and He will save you. So waiting, this is the faith rest life that Pastor Theme taught all those years ago that we've taught repeatedly over the years. The blessing that we have to walk by faith often includes waiting because uh, this is God's good pleasure to unfold His will at the proper time, not too soon, not too late, waiting upon Him. And when we want to return evil for evil, God says, wait. Don't even say that. Wait. Because He's permitted this in your life. He's permitted this testing. He's permitted this conflict. The evil that's afflicting you is not, has not escaped God's notice. He's not blissfully unaware or ignorant of what it is we're dealing with. He knows full well about it. He's permitted it for a reason. And so if you wait long enough, you might even catch a clue as to what that reason is. You might even be able to have the capacity to bless Him even more for uh, how gracious He truly is. And uh, these are the principles we want to start seeing here this morning. The verb for wait is the verb kava, Q-A-V-A-H, kava. Strong's number is 6960. And I was looking around for some names that might help us if we're going to, uh, I like to associate different verbs and, and nouns with various names. And there aren't any really good ones. Um, there is a Hebrew name Tikva, and that doesn't help you out too much because Tikva is pretty obscure. Um, he's the father of the husband of Holda the prophetess. And you say, who? <laughs> As if Holda the prophetess is not pretty obscure herself, let alone her husband, whatever his name was, I forget. And, uh, and her husband's father is named Tikva. So there, does that help you any? And Tikva uh, put a T in front of kava, uh, a T prefix, and uh, maybe that'll help you. Um, really, it doesn't help you at all. Uh, it, there's a there's a girl's name Chava, which is a pretty girl's name, and it's it's, uh, uh, it, but it doesn't come from this noun. That's the problem. Chava in Fiddler on the Roof, one of the daughters of uh, of Tevier the Milkman. Her name is Chava, beautiful name, but it's uh, it's a different noun than you have here with kava. So. If you try to associate the girl's name Chava with this Chava, um, good luck. I mean, maybe it'll help you remember, but it's the wrong name to remember for, uh, for this. So anyway, Chava, Q-A-V-A-H, 6960. It is used uh, 47 times. We're going to see several of those here this morning so that we understand that uh, waiting is our privilege. Waiting is our blessing. Waiting is an honor because it's, it's actually it's an expression of submission that we are waiting upon the Lord. God is the sovereign. God is the Father who loves us. And if God Himself is delaying His action, who are we to disagree, to, to 
confront God and tell God, you know, get in gear. Come on, God, hurry up. I don't have time for this. And, and it's just it's rebellion on our part if we don't wait upon the Lord. Because, you know, if, if we, we want the answer today, we want the answer right here, right now, well, not, not our will, but His will be done. He knows better than we do. And when we disagree with God, I like to say sometimes when, when we disagree with God, one of us is wrong. Okay, and it means it's me. I'm the one with the attitude adjustment. I got to change my thinking on this. So waiting is is always a blessing, and uh, you'll notice in many of these passages, just keep an eye out for it, because the promised outcome for our waiting very frequently is the verb uh, yashak. It's the verb for salvation. It's where Yeshua gets his name, where where we have the name of Joshua and Jesus, the name of salvation. He will save is why Jesus received the name Jesus. And this verb to save is very frequently employed, including our passage today. Wait for the Lord, He will save you. You say, well, I, you know, I wasn't asking for Him to save me. I, I want Him to, I, I want evil upon these people. <laughs> okay? Well, the promise isn't He's going to inflict evil on those people. The promise is He will save you. And uh, if you have the right attitude, the attitude of patient waiting, the faith rest life, whether they get the vengeance or not is kind of a, a secondary issue. The real issue is you're in trouble. You've got a heart that needs adjustment. You've got a heart that's bent on, on wrath and, and vengeance and destruction, and, and you need to get saved from that attitude in the present ongoing experiential salvation that we all need day to day. So you're going to notice in many of these passages the promised outcome is our salvation. And uh, we can appreciate that. All right, so let's start to look at these. Get the Bible uh, window up and going here. I'm going to go ahead and put it there so we leave most of the slide in view. But starting with uh, Genesis 49, and um, pretty simple, for your salvation I wait, O Lord. Uh, we need a larger context for this. Um, Jacob is blessing his, his sons. And these are personal blessings upon each of these men, uh, the, the boys that he birthed. But beyond that, it speaks prophetically to the tribes. And all the tribes have um, a message attached to them. And, and not to read all of them this morning. We've taught this in the Life of, of uh, Jacob series. That was years ago. Um, but when we get to Dan, Dan's a remarkable tribe. And the prophecy is quite interesting because Dan is excluded from the 144,000. Dan is not mentioned among those that are sealed in the book of Revelation, among those that in the tribulation are going to have a, uh, a role of blessing for the Jewish people. Now they're not exterminated, they have an eternal destiny and they do receive a land grant. When you get to the millennial studies, Dan has a land grant and Dan has eternal blessings because he's a child of, of Israel. And God's made promises to all the tribes of Israel. But it is curious that, he's, that there's no 12,000 Jewish evangelists that are set apart. Remember, 12,000 for 12 tribes to make 144,000 Jewish evangelists in the, in the tribulation. And uh, Dan is not on that list. And connected with that observation is this observation that Dan has a prophecy that uses satanic language, that uses serpent language. So Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And so this might be a clue that this tribe becomes a judgment tribe of uh, God's discipline upon Israel during the, uh, the time of Antichrist, during the time of, of coming tribulation. It says, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path. 
that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backwards. And if this is the case, if the, if the prophecy related to Dan does apply to the future tribulational time period, then it, uh, it does form an interesting corollary. It might lead, some scholars have, have gone to the speculation or the consideration that while Antichrist is Gentile, the false prophet that works with Antichrist is likely a Jewish false prophet. Given that the Antichrist comes out of the sea, the false prophet comes out of the earth, and that the imagery of, of the sea is Gentile, the imagery of the earth connected to the land would then be a Jewish reference. So it's possible that uh, the, the Antichrist that uh, is going to partner with a Jewish false prophet, and that Jewish false prophet may very well come from the tribe of Dan, and that his tribe may very well be instrumental in supporting the Antichrist claims to uh, lead the nation of Israel at that time. In any event, uh, this is the prophecy that's spoken of regarded to Dan, and connected to that it says, for your salvation I wait, O Lord. And this is true of course for Dan in the tribulation, then, but this is true for any believer at all times. It's a universal principle that when God is the one saving, we need to wait for His schedule, not ours. You know, we, we want to say, save now, right? Isn't that, I mean, we, pr- we cry, Hosanna. Hosanna is save now. And yet, God's salvation comes in His good pleasure and in the wisdom of His perfect timing. So this, uh, this is a good start to, uh, to our look here on uh, Chava as the verb and its connection with salvation in God's good timing. All right, so from there we go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Got to be careful. I get sidetracked in Genesis and spend the whole hour there. These, I tell you, I've been I've been saturated in Genesis for about the last month or two now, and just prepping this upcoming series. And obviously, chapter 49 is way down the road. But nevertheless, anytime I hit a Genesis passage, I got to stop and and uh, and drool a little bit over what a tasty tasty meal that's going to be. All right, Psalm 25. It is a Davidic psalm. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. And in fact, the the blessing is, as we wait upon the Lord, as we trust in Him, we're going to see this is a common tandem as well. The the Hebrew verb batak, other expressions that speak of trust, that speak of faith. These are descriptions of what we will call in our vocabulary the doctrine of the faith-rest life. That means that we've learned the Word of God, we're claiming the promises, and we're simply waiting for God to manifest His faithfulness in our testing circumstance. So there in verse 2 you see the principle of trust. Do not let me be ashamed. In fact, the one who trusts in the Lord will never be ashamed. It's a promise of God that He honors His believers, His children, that are trusting in Him. There's never a shame in, uh, in trusting God. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. So there's waiting. None of those who wait for you will be ashamed. There's no one that at the end of their life has regret saying, man, I trusted God too much. I really regret wasting so much of my life trusting in the Lord. That never happens. Because the, this is the promise, that God is, is in relationship with us. We're saved by His grace, we're walking in His grace, we're claiming His promises, and waiting upon the Lord is a blessing every single time. There's never a regret. For, uh, for waiting. Those who deal treacherously without cause, they will be ashamed. That's the, the antithesis here. 
Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. You see, this is not a blind faith. A faith rest life is not just an ignorant, childish, um, it's childlike, not childish. It's not an ignorant, blind faith whereby we're just hoping for the best because of whatever. No, we are, our eyes are open. We're saturated with truth. We're in the Word of God. We know God intimately. And the more we know, the more we, we trust, the more we realize we can, we can wait. And it's grounded upon doctrine. It's grounded upon our study of His Word. So make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. And all these elements keep coming back together and and, uh, connected again and again. Because we see salvation, we see trust, we see the the doctrinal content of, of, uh, of God's Word. We see leadership. Lead me in your truth and teach me. God is our teacher, we know that. You are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day. And I think we can see the multiple expressions of salvation here too, that not only do we have the positional salvation, we have the ongoing experiential salvation, whereby the God who saved us back at the moment that we received eternal life is the God who keeps on saving us again and again and again with every test, with every temptation, with every snare, with every... um, opportunity that we have where we need to call upon Him for the experiential salvation. Remember the, the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. The three different phases or aspects of being saved. Positionally, experientially, and then the ultimate sanctification that we have when we're face to face with Jesus Christ. Still in Psalm 25 you get down to verse 21 and that's quite a bit lower in the in the psalm. Verse 20 says, Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed for I take refuge in you. And probably, I don't know how frequently this gets addressed, but one of the biggest issues we deal with in our, in our angelic conflict, in our testing, is that in the process of not enduring, in the process of not claiming the promises, in other words if we go carnal instead of staying in fellowship, we're actually damaging our own soul. We're doing soul damage in the process of failing a test. And so David is, is right on target here when he says, guard my soul and deliver me or save me. Do not let me be ashamed for I take refuge in you. And sometimes this waiting on the Lord means we're hunkering down. We're, we're in a refuge. We're in a stronghold. And uh, we're waiting for that storm to pass by. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. And however long the test is going to last, that's God's business. We're just going to stay faithful and stay with our eyes fixed on Him and uh, I can appreciate that. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all His troubles. So in David's case, of course, not only is it personal testing, but as king of the nation, his, his country's in trouble. So uh, he's got he's to pass this test personally and then lead his nation into, uh, into these things. All right, that's Psalm 25, Psalm 27. Like I say, I can, I can do this all day. This is, these are good verses. The waiting verses are good. And, and you say, Pastor, you sold me on the first one. Can we just move on? Well, no, we can't. Okay, I, yes, I sold myself on the first one too. But I'm going to give the second one, the third one, the 50th one, however many it takes. So that we have this, the weight of, of this principle that just um, leaves us without question. Now Psalm 27 is neat. 
Um, let's head down to verse 14 where it appears twice. But you see it starts off with a salvation psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And so there you have it. You know, when you're a believer and you're walking in the light, you know, anything that, that you experience in temporal life is just a circumstance and detail of life, whatever, whatever may come. And you just say, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm, 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 uh, I'm in the will of God. I'm in His geographic will. I'm in His directive will. I'm, you know, where else would I rather be? And uh, when you know those things, what kind of, I mean, how assuring is that? How powerful is that? All right, so now we get down to verse 14. Maybe I'm skipping over some of your favorite verses here, but you see there's content involved. You've got to learn the doctrine. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for, a false, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. David was a type of Christ, and he had his own, uh, you know, his own traitors, his own Judas Iscariots to deal with in uh, the shadows and typology of our Savior. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you ever pray that? Do you ever consider that? You ever look around, you see the culture we live in, you see the, the things our nation is facing, and you wonder, man, if I didn't have Bible doctrine, I'd be a basket case. <laughs> you know? You know, I would have despaired unless I had believed. You know, if it wasn't for the promises of God and the walk with the Lord and, the, and the, all the, the portfolio of assets He gives to church age believer priests, you know, where would any of us be? In the, in the testing that He puts us through. I don't know how unbelievers do it. I guess it's a lot of drugs and alcohol and whatever. I don't know. But I'm, I have truth. And, and we have stability. I have an anchor that enters within the veil. I've got a Savior that not only saved me, but keeps saving me all day long. Anyway, David confesses this. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And it gets repeated twice there. It's an emphasis and it's a glory. What a joy that we have. And the things to look forward to. This is it's good to keep the, keep the joy set before you. That's what Jesus did for the joy set before Him. He endured the cross, despised the shame. We, we need to be fixed on the things above. We're learning right now in Colossians 3. You've been raised up with Christ? Great. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If, if you lose that focus, then... Um, I think we're all probably in that circumstance with David there. I, I'm going to despair too. And uh, how can you not despair? If uh, I mean, really, any provision other than the Lord and His Word, uh, yeah, despair seems to, be the, seems to be the outcome. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, which I think we're going to see couple times, not just uh, today, but even um, when we get past, when we get to point 23, actually, I think we got some things coming up related to uh, our walk. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? We got that coming up in uh, verse 24 here. All right. That's uh, Psalm 37. We're headed down to verse 9, another Davidic psalm. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers. So we're in conflict again. David sure uh, wrote a lot of psalms while he was under conflict. Do you notice that? And uh, you wonder, 
say, well, I don't like conflict. I don't like testing. Well, look what it produces. It's blessing all of us thousands of years later. When you're going through conflict, God's work in you, His faith that He produces in you is, is for your benefit. And you should be able to worship and celebrate that. All right, so they will wither quickly like the grass. They will fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And this gets claimed by the name and claim it crown. They're totally abusing this psalm. This is a believer under conflict and he's still walking in, 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 uh, in fellowship with his Savior. What verse am I headed for? Verse 9, all right. So commit your way to the Lord, trust Him, trust in Him, He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Because you stayed faithful under testing, you now get to produce this light and be a testimony. Others will be looking at you for the example you set. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And this becomes a snare. A lot of times, I admit it, you know, you look at others and you, you get uh, bummed out and you wonder how come they seem to have such the easy life and, and uh, you know, and I got to go through this testing or why do the wicked seem to prosper while the righteous are going through this testing? And, and we have these relative comparisons and, uh, and, and first of all, we're wrong. We don't know. They don't have it as great as we think they have it. And uh, we don't know the, the anguish and the darkness of their soul and all the the horrible things they're going through, but it's that poison that's damaging our own heart, whereby it seems to us like they've got it made, because we're looking at externals, we're looking at wealth, we're looking at, at uh, money or whatever else. So don't fret because of him who prospers in his way. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, for it leads only to evil doing. Evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. You know, have the long-term view. And it may be that, yes, God is merciful. He is slow to anger. Maybe He is delaying His wrath. And we don't know. I used the example of Manasseh last week that 55 years he was king of Judah. And you think that he was the most wicked king they ever had because at the end of his life he repented. At the end of his life he gets saved. And and God who had, who knows the end from the beginning, who knows the, the outcome of all these things, he, he looked forward to see the salvation of Manasseh at the end of his life. You and I wouldn't have waited that long. <laughs> okay? I wouldn't. Okay, I'll leave you out of it. I wouldn't have waited that long. And uh, this is the, uh, the issue there. And so, remember, the guilty will not be unpunished. God is slow to anger. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And uh, if in fact... Manasseh would have died in the 54th year of his reign and not gotten saved. Manasseh's not getting off scot-free. No unbeliever is. They will receive their judgment either in this life or the next. And uh, that is unless they get saved and Jesus Christ takes the judgment. He pays the price for the sin and all these things. See, so God is not unfair related to any of these uh, processes that we're looking at. So that's verse 9 down to the end of the chapter, verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. You know, the things that Israel had to look forward to in their kingdom blessings and, and uh, what we saw in the Hall of Fame in, in Hebrews 11 that said all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. That, 
The fact is they're looking forward to a future kingdom. They're looking forward for a kingdom to come when the righteous will shine forth and, and these uh, principles are then applied. Psalm 39.7 Another Davidic psalm. All right, some of these are good verses too. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. <laughs> when we realize how short this life is, relatively speaking, I mean, compared to eternity, what's 100 years on this earth, and how short this life is, we're just a phantom, we're here, we're gone, and, and yet we make this uproar as if, you know, this chaos or this problem or this test is the end of the world as we know it. And, and what are we really getting wrapped up about? He amasses riches, does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me for, from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I like that question, though, in verse 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? For what do I wait? Isn't that a marvelous question? You ever have a prayer request and you don't know what the answer is going to be? But that's okay. Because you know the one who's answering and you love him and he loves you. And you trust that what you're waiting for is what he's providing. And you don't know. It's like Paul when he said, I don't know whether I should live or die or what to ask for. Paul didn't know what he was waiting for, but he knew that God was faithful. Same thing with David. For what do I wait? And sometimes we have requests and we make our requests known, but then we have to say, not our will, but thine be done. Maybe this isn't your will. Whatever it is, is going to be better than what I'm asking for, if it's not what I'm asking for. See? That's the blessings of the unanswered prayers. And they're not unanswered, they're just answered uh, in, in a better way than we even had the capacity to ask for. Okay? You're familiar with that? That Garth Brooks song about unanswered prayers? The guy that's going to a high school reunion with his wife and he sees the, sees the girl there that he, he was all, you know, he was all in love with. He was Twitter-pated, you know, and he wanted, he was going to, you know, but she's the girl that got away or whatever, for whatever reason. We don't know the, it's been a long time since I heard that song, actually. I need to re-listen to it. But anyway, so years later, he's with his wife and he thanks God that he didn't get the girl that he thought he wanted because this is what God provided and she's so much better and and uh, anyway, so that's the Garth Brooks divine viewpoint from uh, that. And then there's, I can give you also a divine viewpoint with uh, friends in low places too. We can, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit harder to work out through the scriptures. But. All right. What am I doing? Oh, here I am. Oh Lord, for what do I wait? You may not know, but that's okay. My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Sometimes, yeah, smartest thing you do, just shut up. Stop talking. Wait for the Lord and see how he provides. Anyway, it's a fun one there. How about Psalm 40? How many times have we been in Psalm 40 lately? And how many times do we see the connections with um, Hebrews and other studies. All right. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me, and He heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. 
He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And so we, we thank Him for it. We praise Him for every, every answered prayer. We praise Him for deliverance. And we use it to teach others. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And so David's example gets to become an illustration, gets to become a teaching tool for others that he can testify. Look at this, prayer works. And, uh, and, and I realize that, that um, part of the testing and part of the, I've said it, we've all said it, that you're, someone's going to come and they'll tell you, uh, you know, prayer doesn't work. And you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I don't believe in prayer. Well, and then you've got to testify. Well, of course. Scripture says it works, and let me tell you how it's worked in my life, and just use it to encourage. And when they say prayer doesn't work, kind of ask, well, what do you mean by that? When, when, when uh, you didn't get what you wanted, or what are you talking about? And, uh, and just help them. Just think it through. Help them to, because honestly, um, some of the things they want to say don't make any sense. They're foolish. And, and if, they hear them, if they hear themselves say it in their own words out loud, it comes out and they know, well, that's kind of dumb. And then, but so force them to do it. And then uh, just hopefully, just patiently, gently bring them to the point where they can confess and be restored to fellowship and start processing the, uh, the truth of God's Word. And then they can write a new song when God delivers them through what it is that, uh, that they're dealing through here. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. You know, there's plenty of opportunity. Satan is waiting. He is waiting to become your counterfeit father. He, he took a vow, I will be like the Most High God. And so he's just waiting for believers that have abandoned trusting in the Lord so that he can become their operational father and say, here, I'll, I'll provide for you. Serve me in these ways. We don't want to turn to those things. Anyway, there's so many aspects here. When we get down to Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I could declare and speak them, they would be too numerous to count. See, this is why you've got to count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Just keep listing them and, and do the, keep a journal, keep a log of every answer prayer. Just do these things. Give God the glory. And uh, that'll keep you from forgetting them. It'll keep you from thinking, well, prayer doesn't work. And well, I've got a diary here that shows the last 400 prayer requests he's answered. I think prayer works, okay? And you have the blessing. And you're never going to run out of, you're going to run out of, uh, like the, the hymn we sang Sunday morning, uh, you're going to drain the ocean dry. If the ocean was all the ink and you could write the faithfulness of God, you would, run, you would drain the ocean dry before you ran out of testifying to how faithful our God is. Sacrifice a meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. In Hebrews it says, a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This is the fulfillment. Jesus quoted this. He was the fulfillment of this when he came in the first advent. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he knew that he was prepared to do this work. He himself was trusting in God. He himself was waiting on the Father. He himself claimed this whole doctrine we're studying today. He went to the, the Garden of Gethsemane and said, not my will but thine be done. Because he's claiming this doctrine. He's waiting upon his Father. And he knows that uh, he's going to have uh, a testimony when the work is accomplished. 
All right, so that's Psalm 40. How about Psalm 52? Psalm 52. Hmm. All right. A maskil of David when Doug the Edomite came and uh, told Saul and said, Behold, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Remember Doug the Edomite? I probably should pronounce it Doeg. I just like saying Doug jump every time I say Doug the Edomite. All right. Anyway, more conflict. And uh, Doeg ratted him out, and, and Saul's going to come kill him. And, uh, but David is trusting in the Lord. <laughs> the righteous, verse 6 says, the righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him. Nothing wrong with laughing. Saying, behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and was strong in his evil desire. That's worth laughing at. You know, we, we're going to worship when a believer is trusting in the Lord. We're going to worship and praise God. So if you have a carnal believer that's trusting in his riches or you have a, an unbeliever who's trusting in his wickedness, why not laugh? God's laughing. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. So we have these principles and they're applied and we're not alone in these things. We have fellow believers that can, that can wait with us and pray with us and, and then ultimately everything in this world is preparing us for the next anyway. Why am I so worked up about this world? It's the next whereby we have eternal praise to offer for how faithful our God has been. How about Psalm 69? Another Davidic psalm, very Christological. We have Messianic prophecies in this psalm. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. This is the present ongoing salvation day by day. This is uh, saving from sin, but then there's also physical harms that we need deliverance from as well. I have sunk in deep mire, there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I'm weary with my crying, my throat is parched, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. How long do you have to keep waiting? You say, haven't I waited long enough? So waiting is not um, for a short term and then we set the limit, we draw the line in the sand and say, all right, God, that's enough. I've waited long enough. We keep waiting. We keep waiting. That's His business. Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. And sometimes even though you're innocent, you end up paying the restitution for something you didn't do. Oh God, it is you who knows my folly. All my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. Here's another prayer item. That if he blows it, then there's younger brothers and sisters that are looking to him as the example. And how do they get hurt? See, if the pastor blows it, if the pastor's exposed for some sin or fraud or lifestyle or whatever, then how does that damage the congregation? See, this church has experience with that. And uh, it's the reason why Ralph Braun became pastor in 1981. And it was, it was years for the, for the flock to recover from what the, the pastor before Ralph had done. A lot of damage. All right. 
and may those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord, God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, dishonor has covered my face. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to bear that reproach? I've become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. You know, you read through these psalms and it kind of is a little bit of a blur. You say, well, now wait a minute, is this still David we're talking about? Or have we crossed into Jesus now at this point with, you know, casting out the money changers in the temple and the zeal for the Father's house that has uh, consumed him? Anyway, I passed over it already. It's verse uh, 6 where we have the kava application. Those who wait for you. So um, that's kind of neat too in the sense that it's a, it's a verse that's not dealing with David's personal waiting. It's other people that are waiting, but they're looking at David while they're waiting. Notice that? Those who wait for you, not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. And so that's, uh, that shows us the sense of community that we have in, in, uh, in the Christian walk. There's other people that are waiting and they're looking to us as, uh, as an example. All right, so that's the list of the Psalms. Next we go to Isaiah 8.17. How much of chapter 8 do I want to read? Well, let's just get down. Yeah, verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. So the Word of God's important. We need to live it. We need to learn it. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for Him. Now, you know, Isaiah's a prophet in, during a time of discipline. Israel's under judgment and uh, God seemingly is hiding His face. Um, you know, is, is that true or not? Or does it just seem that way? And if He is hiding His face, why is He hiding His face? What kind of discipline is Israel under? And what's it going to take to repent, to, re- to be restored to fellowship, for a nation to, uh, to humble themselves so that the Lord stops hiding His face from them. And in any event, who else are we going to wait for? <laughs> okay, Until He stops hiding His face, let's just keep waiting. Maybe today's the day that He'll, he'll have regard for, for His house. Because He can't eternally hide His face from, from Israel. He's made promises. He is the God of Israel, and even if He hides His face, it's only for a moment, probably because we've got sin and we've got to confess. Once we confess, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if He's actually hiding His face. Again, sometimes the psalmist says so, and the truth is it's, it, it only seems that way. Okay? Sometimes there's a separation between us, and, and we're the ones that cause that separation. So let's, let's confess, let's get back right, and see if, uh, in fact, he is hiding his face. Either way, we're going to keep waiting eagerly for him. Where else are we going to turn? Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And it's interesting, Isaiah and the prophetess and the children that they were provided, but then the promise that a virgin would have a child, and then the promise that uh, the Son of God he himself will have children in the, in the fullness of times on the, for the thousand generations. We have uh, prophecies within prophecies here. How about Isaiah 25? Uh, 
get into, it's in this section here, Isaiah 24 through 27. It's called Isaiah's mini apocalypse. It's a, it's a segment of the prophetic book whereby it's almost like the book of Revelation. It's apocalyptic. It's uh, looking forward to the coming kingdom. And here in uh, 25.9 is what we're headed for. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. If you think about it, this also is good. Not only do we occupy with the Word of God, we learn the Word of God, but we also see and we recite time and time again how faithful God has been, how we've seen His plan unfold, how He's never let us down, the wonders that He's done. You know, the God that miraculously um, paid for this building. Do you think He's got a plan? The God who miraculously supplies our needs time and time again, He is so eternally faithful. And we recount those. We don't forget those. We tell them over and over again because we got newer folks that weren't here when that miracle came in. See. By the way, this morning is our 10th anniversary in the building. Did you know that? Yeah. It was a Wednesday morning. It was the first Bible class we ever taught here. And it was a Life of Christ class on a Wednesday morning uh, 10 years ago. 10 years ago yesterday, but uh, August 25th. We got our... Uh, we got our certificate of occupancy and we occupied. <laughs> and uh, the certificate came on a Tuesday and we had class, we had ladies prayer meeting and, and, and Wednesday morning class the next day. So uh, I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. You have worked wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. God has a handle on all of this. He's not unaware of these tests that we're going through. Therefore, strong people will glorify you. You've been a defense. Let me get down here. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, refined aged wine. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. No diet in the millennium. On this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all the peoples, even the veil which is stretched out over all the nations. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Now you understand this is Israel, the Jewish people. And they're not at this place yet. They're not at this place. They're, they have still rejected their Messiah. They are still negative. It's going to take tribulation on earth. It's going to take hell on earth to humble them. And they're going to have to call out upon Him whom they pierced. They're going to have to wait upon the, the, the Messiah that they crucified until they can then rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Isaiah 40, 31. Do I need to turn there? You can quote it from memory. We've got artwork with an eagle on it. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. These are all marvelous waiting verses. Isaiah 49, 23. See, that first one was enough. I'm, like I said, I probably sold you on that first one. But you had to get to Isaiah 40, 31, right? You had to get to the eagle and mount up with wings like eagles. 
Isaiah 49, 23. Kings will be your guardians. Back up here. Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their bosom. Your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians. Their princes, your nurses, they will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. And the joy that, I mean, if you think about it, uh, Egypt was so happy to be rid of the Jews at the Exodus that they were plundering. I mean, they were just throwing money at them, throwing gold at them, and just loading them up with plunder. And Israel left Egypt at the Exodus because of the plagues, because of the death of the firstborn. I mean, Israel was so, uh, I'm sorry, Egypt was so thrilled to see those Jews go that they just loaded them up. And all that is just a preview for what the millennial kingdom is going to be like when every nation on this earth is going to be so thrilled to see God regather the the Jewish people and bring them into the land of promise. I mean, you realize these are tribulational survivors at this point that are going to be so thrilled to to be entering into the uh, millennial kingdom. All right, so that's Psalm 49, not Psalm, Isaiah 49, 23. Finally, Lamentations. You say, Lamentations? The most depressing book in the, uh, in the Bible. And uh, when you have all of this depressing stuff in the first half, from verse 1 down through verse 18, it's just horrible. Am I going to read the whole chapter? Probably. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness, not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. You think God's against you? Sometimes we do. We're under affliction, we're under testing, and it just seems like God himself is doing all this stuff to us. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places, He has made me um, dwell like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. You feel trapped. You feel like there's no escape. Every option in front of you is a bad option. And you think, how did I get here? Why did God put me here? Even when I cry out and call for help, He shuts out my prayer. See, prayer doesn't work. He has blocked my ways with a hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. <laughs> okay? So every time, next time you throw your next pity party, just read this chapter and remind yourself. Okay? Jeremiah, the lamentations of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, um, he threw better pity parties than we do. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people. They're mocking songs all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Now, the chapter doesn't end there, okay? But you just think for a moment. That's rough. Okay? And it's, it's the honesty of a believer in despair. Most everything in this 
in these 17 verses is absolutely wrong. It's not true, but it seems true to Jeremiah. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. All right, but then remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers, is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. That's why you've got to have Scripture memorized. That's why you've got to have doctrine. You've got to have the capacity. You can't faith rest if you don't have the Word of God. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The most beautiful verses, and, and there they are, in the middle of the most depressing chapter of the, of the whole Bible. His mercies are renewed every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. Again, this is going to go very well with um, our Colossians series because we're learning to fix our, our mind on the things above, to keep seeking the things above. Those who wait for Him, the person who seeks Him, it is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. There's goodness in the waiting. If God had just answered right away, had He not brought Jeremiah through all this, He would have missed out on all this goodness. It is good. For a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since it is, he has laid it on him. Anyway, we, we go through these things. Jeremiah's going to have some stories to tell. And uh, he bears it in his youth and then in his old age, what's, what testimony is he going to have? How can he encourage the next generation? Well, if you never go through testing, you have nothing to offer to the next generation. Alright, well there's Lamentations 3. The promised outcome for our waiting is for God to save us. And I saved the best for last, and I've got six minutes now to take us to 1 Samuel 25. This is the story of David when he meets Abigail, when Nabal, the fool, is um, provoking David to anger. And David nearly takes his own vengeance. David nearly repays evil for evil. And so David nearly becomes the defiant example the wrong way of what we're seeing here in Proverbs 20.22 where we're not even to say do not return evil for evil. And, uh, and he gets saved. So 1 Samuel 25 what verse am I looking for? 32 and 33. Alright, so now I've got to give you the quick version because we're running out of time. But uh, Nabal mistreats David's servants. And uh, David's servants come and the young men come and they speak to Nabal, but Nabal, and they waited, but Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shares and give it to men whose origin I do not know? And uh, Essentially calling them, you know, bastards, calling them, uh, you know, of, of dubious uh, childbirth and uh, background. Anyway, terribly, terribly hateful. So the young men retraced their way, went back, and they came and told him according to these words. And David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. <laughs> All right? Because it's, uh, 
It's, it's, you know, this is what happens. Revenge is a horrible thing. And it, it just gets triggered at the drop of a hat. And if you don't control it, if you don't faith rest it, if you don't wait upon the Lord and process the, the doctrine, any of us can, can fall for this. So each man girded on a sword, he girded on his sword. About 400 men went up behind David and 200 stayed with the baggage. Now thankfully one of the young men told Abigail and uh, she has the wisdom to, to solve this. So anyway, Abigail comes and she intercedes. She has gifts for David and his men and she confesses Nabal's sin. It's an intercessory confession. And um, she falls on his feet and she becomes the kinsman redeemer. She falls at his feet and is willing to accept the wrath on her head in place of Nabal. And so she becomes the, the visual representation of the Christ right there before David. So she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you. Listen to the words of your maidservant. She's going to accept the wrath. She's willing to. But she wants to speak truth. She has faith that truth will, will uh, benefit David. Do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. Because Nabal means foolish and he's well named. And uh, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and avenging yourself by your own hand, Look how confident she is. Does she know this scheme's going to work? She seems to. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. The fact that she's testifying to the hand of God's grace has already convinced her that the prayers are answered, that God has delivered. And let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Forgive the transgression of your maidservant. See, she's already, the guilt is hers. Now she's asking him for his forgiveness. The Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. Evil will not be found in you all your days. Anyway, so we get down here and David testifies Bless, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from violating Proverbs 20.22. 20, <laughs> okay? Hadn't been written yet, but he knows the principle. Kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. And there's the, the salvation. All right, well, it's a neat story, but I'm out of time. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for truth. Thank you for Abigail. Thank you for godly women and uh, the blessings they can be to hot-headed husbands. And, and Father, just thank you for uh, your grace day by day, moment by moment. Thank you for the blessings of waiting. Teach us how to wait more, which means, yes, we have to endure and, and uh, learn patience. And, and, uh, but it's a blessing, the salvation you provide in your timing. Is, uh, is better than anything we could have asked for in our impatience way back when we first started. So we, uh, we, uh, we learn to think on an eternal scale and we appreciate your, uh, your grace and your glory. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.